0: Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice and mean old book reviews from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne, I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois.
1: And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. How
0: was your day, man?
1: My day was good, how about Se- yours? Seemed busy.
0: It was busy. Yeah. A lot going on? A lot going on. Lot going on. Any, anytime, anytime you're busy, and you got a lot, not anytime. One of the times when I am I know like there's a lot going on, you'll use two words. Two words will come up when I know, like, okay, don't play. And those two words are tax season. For some reason, I don't know why it matters, because you're not an accountant. I don't know why it's a big deal, but for some reason, when the business world is doing tax stuff, I know, like, don't play with Jimmy. Mm, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, just like, leave oh, oh, me cool, alone. Cool. Yeah, man, you do your thing. I'm mm-hmm. just going you over here in my office, reading and stuff. So, uh, but a good day, though? I'd say it was a good day. Yeah? Yeah. All of your employees rocking it? Yeah. All of them? Uh, yeah. All of them. All of them. Okay. I don't know. I, mean, I feel like, like you're. No, I just. I don't. I. Well, I only know a couple. You know, I know, you know, know. I just. You know, I don't understand. What? what I just. What, so I'm, I'm just. I did not. I did not yell it.
1: I did not yell at a step on today. Okay. Good. Good. That's nice. I'm. I'm sure I, he appreciates. Ah. Yes.
0: Yes. Did, wait. Did he deserve it? But you didn't do it. No. Okay. Well, then you don't get points for that.
1: I feel like no. no I- if
0: he doesn't deserve it, he gets points. If he does deserve, it, but you don't do it, then you get the points.
1: Mm. Hmm. I don't think it works. I yeah, that's exactly. Agree to disagree. Yeah,
0: well, you can be wrong and I'll be yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I don't think so.
0: So, you know, one of my favorite things to do. What's that? I have a lot of, I, I shouldn't say, well, is it true? Can you have a bunch of favorite things? You know, I, dude, listen, you overuse words. I do not. You I do. I, I, you I do. use words use, winsomely yeah, and yeah. wonderfully. <laughs> you, uh, I, I don't. Okay, it's, here's it's a like, word, it's, Jimmy. It's,
1: it's like, you know what, when people mark their emails as mm-hmm. urgent. Yeah. And it's always, uh, all their emails are urgent, mm-hmm. then nothing's
0: urgent. I have never marked an email. No, urgent. no,
1: no, no. But because you, I don't know how. You say things
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the time about multitude of things as my favorite, my favorite, my favorite. Yeah. I could live there. I see myself there. I'm, you know this, what's I'm weird? this, I'm this, I'm that. It's
0: all true though. Okay. What I don't so, do. So the
1: thing is, none of that then to me, it, it, no, so it's, the all, word, it's all The same. word loses value. No. The word no. loses value. Anyways, go ahead. What's one of your favorite? things? What's I enjoy? another favorite thing of this? yours?
0: You know what? Something I enjoy go ahead. every other week. Okay. Something I really enjoy. is I go and I hang out with Brian Malcolm. Yep. Like I did this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, we meet and hang out. But he always makes me really good coffee. Because Brian is mm. like a coffee nerd. Uh, he knows all the brewing and the stewing and all yeah, the yeah, yeah. vacuum chamber. Whatever the stuff they do. Vacuum chamber. And I don't know what he does. And um, it's always really good coffee. And you just got some really nice coffee in the mail didn't you why why are you doing that as an influencer or something so first of all you got the same thing so yeah of course i did uh yeah come on i'm an influencer (laughs) everybody wants to be well
1: midwestern baptist theological seminary was very kind yes and yeah they sent they sent over a package it's very nice they sent over a mug it's a nice little mug nice little mug i used mine yesterday okay Um, a little small (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a little no, small but it's nice no, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's very nice, nice. yeah I it's, like it, it a lot it's, yeah. it's got a great
0: lid fits on it real nice yep
1: yeah really good uh, oh they sent me a copy of Jared Wilson's new book oh nice and so you which know, you I, already have No, you can sell that one on no, I'm not selling it sell now I have eBay. another one to give away because oh, I have good. now that's my third I know because <laughs> like Jared was kind enough to get us one before release, yeah. and then the publisher sent one. Mm-hmm. Like we're just on a list, and then Midwestern Baptist just so now I have two that I get to send away, and I'm quite thankful because I gave away one. Yep, and I was like, oh, I don't want to give away my my copy, and then uh, a friend of mine in Africa mm-hmm. was like, dude, I, I really want that book. Please George,
0: what's his name? George. Is that
1: what's the guy's name that I met him? Oh, uh, Michael Rathomio. Yeah, George. Yeah. Yeah, George. Same thing. Yeah. Michael Rothomio. <laughs> Micah. Anyways, for, in, in Uganda. Anyway, so I'm going to send the I'm going to send that book to him. Nice.
0: Yeah, but um, what are the coffee? They sent you coffee. Oh yeah, they also yeah. sent coffee. Uh-huh. Coffee. Yeah, this was, Spurgeon, uh, blend. Spurgeon blend. Spurgeon yeah. blend. All right, guys. You can yeah. knock it off with that stuff. I'm gonna try it. All I don't right. Why don't you read the notes? What, what oh, uh, come on, I wanna hear these notes. Do you want to hear Oh hold on I'm grabbing? <laughs> <laughs> I put it
2: away. All right here.
1: All right. All right. Spurgeon blend. Yeah. Country.
0: Multi. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Yeah, it's from a, it's a number of all over the place
1: it's region.
0: Multi. Yeah, scraps. Go ahead.
1: Processing, washed and natural. Processing blend variety. Or no, I don't know what. Anyways, so here are the flavor notes: strawberry, brown mm-hmm. butter, caramelized
0: pecans. hmm Uh,
1: and it was uh, roasted February eleventh, twenty twenty-one. Mm. So this is okay, great.
0: Except you know when they sent it. It was it, open. It was open. It was <laughs>
1: open. Uh, I closed it when I got it. But don't don't come on. I wasn't gonna say that. I'll say. I, I wasn't come on, say guys. Anyway, sealed up. I'm I'm looking forward to try it. I have never had coffee that I I the flavor notes were strawberry, brown butter, and caramelized pecans.
0: Have you ever had coffee named after a dead Baptist theologian? No. So there's two. There's two, yeah. two okay. things here. So no, it's very nice. Very nice. Kind, very very nice. nice. I am you, looking forward Mid-western.
1: to it to giving it a try. Actually, I might even. Uh, i've got what's it called tomorrow community group yeah i got community group this is what i'm thinking
0: about serving all right great good deal good deal well okay before i forget we need to let people know about the last banter of truth interview oh yeah with uh Jared c wilson oh my goodness that was so great we talked about gospel centrality
1: we talked yeah. about his new book but we also talked about gospel and marriage and yeah. just the the impact the gospel had on his own marriage yeah yeah
0: it, this was uh, a fantastic interview it's we're excited to, to do these but we wanted to give you at least a little taste so um what are we get why don't we share uh when he starts to talk about what gospel centrality is mm-hmm. you know it's always in the titles of his book but for him it's not a sales marketing thing it really is you know at the heart of what he's all about okay cool let's do that we just got your. We just got your new book, uh, "Gospel-Driven Ministry: An Introduction to the Calling and Work of a Pastor." I know some people look at this kind of a thing and they think, like, aren't there already like uh, a dozen books on this? And the answer is no. There's like 200 books on this, but uh, but we <laughs> constantly need the 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 work of pastoral ministry articulated mm-hmm. for each generation, and we also need them that are connected to the heart of who we are, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to get into that. We're excited about your book. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about this idea of this being a gospel-driven ministry. I mean, you, you've, you've written a book here that talks about, you know, um, worship and preaching and caring and leading and all mm-hmm. of that, which a lot of these books talk about. But your book is not just called, um, you know, Biblical Ministry, Or, you know, um, cross-shaped ministry. I mean, it's very specific gospel-driven ministry. And then if you look at the catalog of books that you've written, gospel seems to play a a role in the titles of your books. And I know that there are some cynics out there that would say, okay, that gospel is just a buzzword now. It used to be missional. Now it's gospel. Mm -hmm. And so people just use that word to try to sell books. But as a guy who actually reads your books, not all of your books, I'm not reading that fiction thing, but as guy, as a guy that reads your books- <laughs> Echo Island was good. You know okay. what? Why are you being like okay. that? First of all, it was so derivative. I couldn't get past the first- No, I, I'm just <laughs> joking. I haven't even read it. Um, I, I just, I don't, I have, I've not made time for fiction, but your books are not just using the word gospel uh, as, a, as a sales technique. Like you actually believe in love and- and I think live out the implications of the gospel in your life, and it, it's it's it has been as long as I've known you, it's been a major thrust, maybe the major thrust of your ministry. So, could you talk a little bit about why, not just the word gospel, but why gospel is so central to all of your writings, even a book like that's on pastoral ministry?
2: You're I asking mean, a great question, and I, I think the cynics may be right in that we've entered into a, a, a season where, um, for me, it, it really is some tribal identifier, or or gospel centered or gospel centrality or gospel driven
0: gospel coalition uh,
2: about what kind of, yeah, exactly. What kind of tribe you identify with, what kind of conferences you go to, what books you read, podcasts you listen to, all sort of thing. Um, and concern as well, that it's exactly becoming, um, you know, sort of a um, kind of a wallpaper in the room, so to speak, and we've lost, or we're in danger of losing, at least. Uh, what really means to be gospel-centered? It 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 doesn't simply mean, um, you know, the the group to identify with. So, um, you know, the answer to the question is for me, this comes out of a personal cataclysm in my own life. I mean, when I, you know, sort of, you know, became quote unquote gospel-centered, I didn't know anything about that phrase. I never heard that phrase. Mm. I, I would not have in the moment assigned that phrase to myself, but it wasn't the result of somebody handing me a book and saying, Hey, read this or, you know, gospel Listen, didn't really exist. Um, right. you know, at that time for me, it was uh, a train wreck of my own life period of, of depression and even suicidal thoughts. And, uh, everything around me was broken, including my marriage and just, um, a, a, a period of about a year of, talking with God like I'd never talked with him before and a personal revival one, one night that the Lord kind of reached down through the roof of uh, the guest bedroom of our home where I was, uh, where I was basically living. Mm-hmm. And it was like the lights came on. It it was like the prodigal son, you know, where it says he came to himself or he came to his senses. Um, what I heard, not an audible voice, or or a vision or anything, but what I heard to my heart um, was a reminder of the gospel. I love you, and I approve of you in Christ. Um, And it was like the the shades were drawn up, the sunlight filled in, and that was my first kind of Holy Spirit orchestrated uh, awareness, um, coming awake to the reality that the gospel is not just for lost people, because that's kind of the, you know, right. The assumption of the church culture I grew up in, which is the gospel's for the lost, and then once you have it, you don't need it anymore. You move on from it. The reality or the, the understanding of the gospel is for the Christian, and that, in fact, the Christian needs the gospel just as much as a lost person does, not in the same way, right? but just as much. And so, for me, sticking with this gospel-centered thing is not a marketing decision. In fact, I've had some say... Um, particularly on, on, on my book a couple of years ago, uh, we can't call it Gospel-Driven Church because the Gospel-centered stuff is played out. And I was mm. fine with it. I was like, look, I don't care what you title it. Um, I'm not concerned about that. But the content is, is what I am married to and for the last 15 years or so has staked my life and ministry around because this was life or death for me. This wasn't, mm. oh, I found, you know found a tribe. That came later. It was, for me, um, a growing awareness of the versatility and, yeah, the centrality of the finished work of Christ. So the implications of that, for me, are important today to continue to kind of rehearse for people because of that tendency to move on. And those are, just very shortly uh, or very briefly, um, how we read and understand the Bible. What is the Bible ultimately about? Um, it's, It's about Christ. From beginning to end, there's a unified story within all of those different stories, histories, uh, songs, uh, prophecies. All of that um, is about Jesus. So gospel-centered, uh, you know, gospel centrality has implications for how you understand and preach the Bible, uh, but also how people change. If you're in ministry, you're very uh, invested in people's transformation. You're not just trying to educate people. You want to see them grow into Christ's likeness you want them, uh, you know, to bear the fruit of the spirit. Well, how does that come about? Gospel centrality helps us to understand that the Scripture teaches the way people become more like Jesus is by somehow beholding the glory of Jesus, uh, not by the law but by grace. Paul says in, in in Titus chapter two, it's it's grace that trains us to renounce unrighteousness and live upright, godly lives. So, how people change is another important facet. And then, just for the uh, the you know the Christian personally. Uh, but also for the minister, for minister, uh, for pastors and, and ministry leaders, where they find their validation, where they find their justification. Mm-hmm. Is it in a kind of success? Is it in feedback? Is it in platform? Or is it in the finished work of Christ? So those kind of are the, are the three main thrusts for me that I just want to keep you know, camping out on, where we find our validation as a Christian, not in our performance, not in our production or productivity, but in what Christ has done for us, How we read, understand, preach, and teach the Bible, um, and of course, how people change, how they grow, and 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 undergo the process of sanctification.
0: Here we are. We're gonna have to get into it. We're gonna here we go. Because are you ready to fight? Our Mm Mandane got called out. Mm -hmm. He got called out. He got called out. Yeah, man. And uh, so we're we're here basically to start cracking skulls and busting noses. (laughs) We're not. We're you know what I came here to do two things oh gosh chew bubble gum yeah and and you know what else well no i don't and i'm all out of bubble gum (laughs) (laughs) no we're not gonna do
1: that no no though though i will say i think joe and i disagree on some things here
0: yeah so what are we talking about jimmy it's a it's a critique of uh gentle and lowly see how i got the name right you finally got gentle it right and after all this time. Yeah, you know, I did the interview about the book before it was even finished being written. I know <laughs> Dane personally. I read the whole book, loved the book, and I could never remember the name. But it says it right in front of me: "Gentle and Lowly."
1: You're gentle and Lowly. Okay. Okay. Now
0: this is a critique by Jeremiah Johnson.
1: Jeremiah Johnson, uh,
0: not not the Jeremiah Johnson who was like super pro Trump and was like kind of charismatic and stuff. Like, not this is a different Jeremiah Johnson. This is a Jeremiah Johnson at Grace to You.
1: Grace to You. Yeah, uh, I believe it's uh, Phil Johnson's son, based uh, on grandson. Like, yeah. No. Great Great-grandson. His eldest son. Okay. uh, And he's the editorial manager at Grace to You. Okay, there you
0: go. Yeah. so And Grace to You, John MacArthur's parachurch ministry. Parachurch ministry, yeah. yeah.
1: So he wrote a review. Does scripture really say that? A critical appraisal of gentle and lowly.
0: So would you characterize this review as generally positive or generally negative?
1: Uh, I would say generally negative. generally negative. I would say generally negative. Um, And so here's, here's the thing. Before we get into his review uh Nick batzig had a tweet had a couple of tweets uh I, yesterday. Didn't see this. I didn't see this and I think it's actually worthwhile to discuss because it, going on Twitter um you see both sides you see the yeah. Grace to you crowd yeah. and you got the Ortland crowd kind of going at each other yeah and so I think I think it's okay regardless of of maybe how Jeremiah presented his material and his critique and we can go through that I'm fine with that uh, I do think there's there's some things to bear in mind. I think Nick really hits it. He he leaves, he gives six thoughts on the Grace to You Dane Orland review. One, published books are subject to public review. Yep. So listen for the Dane Orland crowd, Jeremiah Johnson and anybody else has every right. Yep. To critique a book and disagree and disagree. and hate it. Yeah, they have every right to. And I'm Dane, sure Dane would agree with that. Dane would agree. Dane's a big boy. Yeah. Dane's a big boy, and he understands that. You know. Um, So for those those supporters of Dane that have been a bit snarky and whatnot, you know, come on. The guy has a right to do a review. okay? Uh, Number two, the Internet is a terrible place for theological disagreement. We've (laughs) all agreed. agreed. We've all talked about that um, ad, ad nauseum. Number three, we can never hear enough about the loveliness and grace of Christ. I mean, what Dane's presenting in his book we can never hear enough about yep. right how beautiful christ is uh the grace of christ how wonderful it is um it it we can't get enough of it number four we should commend everything we can
2: when, when, when critique a book.
1: a book yeah so yeah so you know be look for what is right and yep. and again i think jeremiah gave the illusion of that yeah he didn't really do that you know it, it didn't feel like that even yeah. some of the even at the some very his, end he
0: was like yeah you know these he, are some good." Things. but
1: see he, even that was like it came off to me a little bit backhanded no it and I, did and i'll give my my own assumption why right um number five uh, number five we should consider what if anything might be right about a critique with which we agree so yep. for those of us in in dane's camp yep. and on dane's side we should actually be able to look at this and say, is there anything here that is a fair critique? And I actually do think there are a couple questions that Jeremiah raises. I think it's fair. I, I do well, think
0: that, that, That's the difference. We'll talk about that is raising a question is one thing. Making it, drawing a conclusion is another. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's I'm, not raising questions. He's drawing conclusions Well outright But condemning. he
1: raised a question. And then I think he unfairly, yeah. and I agree. Yes. Yeah. So, but you still have to look and, and, mm-hmm. and totally and agree. address that critique.
0: We We say that at Redeemer all the time I've said it throughout my ministry especially when discipling people you when in reading a book you want it, you want to answer the question how is this right and how is this wrong how is it possible yep. that it could go either way number 6 we should avoid dismissive
1: sarcasm when we disagree with a critique of something we have been helped by so it's easy for some of us that have been helped by Dane's book right. to get defensive for it yep. and and act in a way
0: that's un, unhelpful. Yeah, right? Phil Johnson, well no not Phil Johnson, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson. Johnson, little JJ, you shut your face. Such a young guy, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done young blood? You know like. Because like I know the temptation is is when, my I'll just tell you like my, my immediate sinful response when if you were attacked by somebody, mm. right? Let's say somebody said something about Jimmy that I thought was unfair or untrue or just plain wrong. I would want to hit him back. I'd want to hit him back harder. Mm-hmm. And I would probably even look for like, I would like, oh, let me find a picture of this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> How can I make fun of the way he looks? Yeah, like, yeah. I, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's a terrible it impulse. Is,
1: but, it, but it's an impulse that we have, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. And so Most I, of us, I'm going to add number seven okay. to Nick's, to Nick's list. You're going to fix Nick's list. He, fix I, and you know what? I already told him I'm fixing the Good. list. Right. right. Is, uh, do not read into motives that are not actually explicitly there. So it's easy for me to assume motives for, uh, for Jeremiah, right? It's easy for me to look and say, I, while I agree, there's something still here that like is unsettled. It's unsettling to me. And it's because I, I look at it, I go, man, if this feels like a hit piece, this feels like a platform building opportunity. This feels like, let's get Jeremiah's name out there. And it feels like there was such success with this book. This is a, this is really good clickbait because at the end of Jeremiah's uh, blog post, put simply, we can sympathize with the desire for some comfort and encouragement in these dark days. But rather than picking for scraps, we want to point you to thoroughly biblical resources that will deepen your knowledge of God's word and strengthen your love for him. We want you to know the lasting hope, encouragement, and security that comes from God's testimony of himself from Scripture alone. To that end, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at Christ's intercessory work on our behalf, God's pursuit of his elect, and the nature of his saving love. Join us on on the blog for this deep dive into divine compassion. So not only is this a critique, but it's also that knowing it's going to be circulated pretty well, it's also a pretty good ad. Yeah, it's a promo. It's a good promo for what you got coming up, right now. Again, that's me. Maybe it's unfair.
0: Yeah, it's like you. And this is something that I, that Jimmy and I talk about sometimes is you. In our discussions about things, mm-hmm. you have oftentimes said, "Here's what I think the motive is behind this." Correct. And um, and I'll say that I, you're sometimes wrong, and you admit that. Yep. But you're also V- very intuitive like you're oftentimes right like yep. you're more often yeah right. i feel like i'm
1: 95 percent
0: right so it's almost 75 first of all 95 70, i'm 95
1: <laughs> yeah. and i'm like yeah
0: 5 percent. okay uh, 75 <laughs> um <clears throat> so we d- we're not we're not doing that we're not we're not calling them out and in, in that way but we do want to um talk about some of the things that are said in, in the review and we'll ask some questions of each other here mm-hmm. um let me let me jump in with one. I got, right, I'll read I'll read a, a quote here from uh, Jeremiah's uh, review. He says, um, "Does Ortland's thesis really yield an accurate understanding of the character and disposition of Christ? Are gentle and lowly categorically more definitive of the eternal character of Christ than his fierce contempt for the uh, hypocrisy of the Pharisees?" or uh, uh, of his threat to wage war against the church at pergamum are the words of matthew 11:29 truly more authoritative and illustrative of the divine perspective of sin and sinners than say matthew 10:34 i did not come to bring peace but a sword or luke 12:49 i have come to cast fire upon the earth and how i wish it were already kindled So, and this is something that runs throughout his critique. I mean, this is like the the primary thing Dane is saying, this is at the heart of Jesus more than other things are at the heart of Jesus. And one of the things that I I do think is, is worth noting is he does address this in the book. He says, there are many things that are true about Jesus and he doesn't discount them. What he does say, and, and Jeremiah says that He, he says, Dane does make this point, uh, But Dane's point is, is when Jesus takes the opportunity to say, here is my heart, this is what my heart is towards sinners who are coming to me, it is gentle and lowly. So I don't find him excluding these other things about Jesus' character at all, but he's writing a book about this aspect of Christ's character. And he's convinced, and I think he makes a good argument for it, that this is at the center of Jesus in his relationship to those who come to him and that's the other thing i would want to say which is he's talking about how Jesus receives sinners he's not talking about how Jesus rejects the pharisees it's a different it's different content altogether that would be a different book So no, I agree. And and he even goes through, like, for all the examples we have
1: of Jesus's tender dealings with needy, sick and penitent people, there are just as many, possibly even more words in the New Testament devoted to his public controversies and angry diatribes against the hypocrisy and false teaching of the Jewish leaders. Okay. But how does that disprove? You know, what Dane's trying to say about how Christ interacts
0: with repentant sinners? Right, right. So that's, again, it doesn't mean it. Just because Dane has, I think, a consistent argument or makes a good point, doesn't mean he's right. I, I think his book is wonderful. Uh, I I tend to agree with with what he says. Um, you know, some of the things that some of the critiques in the book have to, have boiled down to absolutisms, right? Like, um, like this is the most important thing or the primary thing. And while I do use words uh, carelessly, like Jimmy says, sometimes what I've never done in 20, 30 years of preaching is um, I, I don't say this is the most important thing about like, you know, I just, I, I, I always prefer to say, this is one of the more important things. So this is one of the central aspects of the character of God. There's a couple where I feel safe doing that. But
1: well, I mean, and, and here's the thing is Dane says, page 18, the one place in the Bible where the son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is. Right. That does suggest. Yeah. And that that's where it's like, so here's the thing I, I read, I read this book and I, and it was immensely encouraging to me. And I, I think I said it when he was here with us, this book reminds me it's a better ragamuffin gospel. Oh yeah. He reminds, it's a Brendan Manning. It's a better Eugene Peterson. This is a pastoral book written to people that are hurting and struggling in darkness, yep. in dark times. Yep. This is not a Christology. I am never, as Jimmy Fofo, I am never going to write a systematic theology. I'm never going to write a, a Christology. I'm never going to write a great work. A it took great you three theological... years to write a
0: paper for the elders.
1: Exactly. I'm never going to write a theological tome, right? And so I don't think uh, Dane set out to write that book. I don't think no. Dane set out to, but I think the critiques that are coming yeah. are unfairly trying to look at a book as a, as a you know, theological tome mm-hmm. and critiquing it through those lens when I don't think that's the
0: intention of the book. Yeah, I mean, he, he gets into this, um, you know, when he compares uh, Ray's, I'm sorry, Dane's book. To uh, Warfield. He says, um, Ortland does mm-hmm. spend a few pages dealing with Christ's righteous indignation. Midway through the book, he surveys a famous essay by B.B. Warfield on the emotional life of our Lord, in which Warfield gives good and helpful insight on the necessary connection between Christ's compassion and his anger. Warfield's complete essay is well worth reading. It is a careful but compact and masterful study of how God incarnate manifested the full range of human emotions in irreproachable holiness and perfect equilibrium but gentle and lowly is neither as thorough nor as balanced as warfield's essay especially where it deals with the not so gentle aspects of jesus earthly ministry of course i would say because Mm -hmm. that's not the scope that's not what he's focused he's not trying to give a full orbed picture of all that is true about christ's character um by the way warfield believed in evolution so there you go um he says Ortland fails to acknowledge how much sp- oh you already read that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and again, that that's that's a legit point to bring up. It's 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 fine to say there is more to be said about Jesus' character. And I think Dane would agree. We'll have Dane on. We'll have Dane on we'll have Dane on. I think this.
1: you would agree. I think you would agree. There's a lot more to
0: say, but he's focusing on this particular verse and the, the puritans and the good ones that have you know, emphasized this in part in various aspects of their ministry. So that I think part of it is a bit unfair because I, I always, I always hate it because you, you guys know I love movies, right? I love books. And I love movies. And, um, and I like genre films, which means I like film like action, horror, mm-hmm. they're narrow. And, uh, when mainstream critics try to review a horror movie, they, they frequently give it a low rating even if it's a great movie because they don't know what to do with a genre film they can they only want to compare it to their favorite oscar nominated films that are in a completely different genre whereas i feel like at times in reading this or maybe i shouldn't talk about feeling i think mm. that at times when reading this <laughs> this critique he he's he wants he's basically it, it, a lot of it seems to be i wish he would have wrote a different book And I'm like, well, he didn't wanna write a different book. He wanted to write this one on this particular subject.
1: Yeah. So where I do think, okay, well, how about this? Where do you think there's fair critique?
0: I think there there could be confusion for some people in reading Dane's book when they boil things down to and oversimplify things. I, I think some people could read this book and come away with a reductionistic Christology, which I don't think is Dane's fault. Um, you know, again, it's like some you might have a great leader who has certain tendencies and emphases and the people that come after him take those things and they go farther. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think being too reductionistic is a problem. And I think some people could read this book and lose sight of the idea that Christ does discipline his children that he is meek and lowly, he does receive us. But oftentimes, that reception is preceded in our backslidden state by an affliction of our conscience or our circumstances, mm-hmm. so that we are broken. So I do think that that's a fair thing to bring up. That um, you know this book isn't really talking about that, and maybe that would be uh, maybe that would be a helpful helpful thing to include in a book like this. Like because <clears throat> even when we are disciplined by by the lord and we're preaching the revelation so we're going through a lot of Mm -hmm. these passages even when jesus has these harsh words or hard words for his church um in the end okay so um i'm let me just bring it up because i this this will it'll make i can make more sense if i can look at the bible that's fine yeah yeah because because i don't (laughs) i don't make a lot of sense otherwise so in, in Revelation, uh, the, the last letter to the seven mm. churches, right, uh, to the church in Laodicea, there's no commendation here. Yeah, he, none. Jesus puts this church on blast. Yep. And uh, he, he says, listen, you're just lukewarm. You think you've got it all together, but you don't. And and like all of these, you know, the, the warnings that are given, if you guys don't repent, there are going to be consequences. I'm going to remove the lampstand mm-hmm. and all of that. So there, there is... And you know, he says, uh, those whom I love are reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So all of that is true. And yet Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So there again, though, is that heart of Christ that is genuinely lowly. It's meek. He is, he, uh, humble and lowly. That's why, that's why I'm always going to mess up the title of the book. But I, I think even then, it demonstrates that you know Christ is compassionate towards sinners that come to Him. So I think that might be an area where you know, it might be too reductionistic for some. So I think I think Jeremiah's
1: jumping off point had been, you know, is it really is he only really gentle and lowly, right? Like is that is that the 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 focus? You the, know, the primary, the yeah. primary, right? Uh, and I think he was using that. As a jumping-off point to, I think what his main concern is, and that's divine impassibility. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you know, reading some of Dane's uh, words, it's at best confusing. And I think this
0: is where, like, how, how how so on the issue of divine impassibility. Well,
1: like the idea of of uh, self conflict that Jesus or that God is conflicted within himself, right? Um, something recoils within him in sending that affliction. He is, if I can put it this way, without questioning his divine perfections, conflicted within himself when he sends affliction into our lives. But his deepest heart is their merciful restoration. Right. Um, I, I, so like what I, I I read when I read this, I wasn't reading it as, as this theological book. And, you know, I miss some of those things. Like you, you, when you're reading a certain book, you're reading it with a certain lens. Right, Right. Yeah. Um, you're
0: looking for something you're specific. looking for
1: something specifically um and so like i think though for some that don't quite understand that can be confusing
0: right and i, I that goes back to you know what our grounding is it was like and i'm not comparing these books but like you know tulian wrote i i forget the title of it but he wrote a book that i thought this would be good for certain people in certain circumstances but not good for everybody um Whereas I think this book is good for the vast majority of people. I d I, I don't think that this book creates the same problems as Tullian's books did in a different way. But I think I think maybe, you know, divine I I, I would assume that Dane believes in divine impassibility and the the conflict statements, you know, you can you know, you have to read passages where he says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. Yeah, you know, well, no, I mean, and I,
1: I think that's where it's good. Like, I wish he was, you know, on, right? Just to kind of, to clarify, because I think that's been some of the the fair critique, not just from Jeremiah, but uh, from Jeremy. You know, Jeremy Walker gets listed, right? Yeah. Um, for some individuals, like, there is confusing language here um,
0: that. Yeah, it's not real precise It's not real precise theological language. And again, I don't think he's trying to be. Which is
1: why I think a completely unfair statement by Jeremiah is, as noted earlier, this view of God is internally conflicted, is a wholesale denial of the doctrine of divine impassibility. I think that yeah. you're assuming the worst of, of a brother. Right. If you had it, if you had that question, I think there's a better way of asking, hey, I'm a little confused here because it says this, but how do I reconcile that? Like, what are you, wh- what are you trying to say here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how maybe that could have been said better.
0: Right. Right. Cause that's, I mean, that's the, for, for Johnson to say, this leaves me with some big questions and concerns and, and it is. You know, I think how that's does this fair. Work? That's that's a totally I think fair that's way. Fair. To, so, yeah.
1: because if Dane is saying that, then Johnson is correct.
0: Yeah, no, if yeah, if <laughs> then Johnson is correct. I, we love Dane. Yeah, but Dane, if you don't believe in divine impassibility, then we disagree with you on that. Yeah, still love your book and still love you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and that's that's part of my problem is that the the article just draws hard conclusions, it and I've does. and I've seen this, I've seen this with guys at Founders as well, where they get some information about a particular individual. And then they'll take that information and then draw a certain conclusion. This person is what I think they are. They don't really have the evidence for it.
1: So, it, it, yeah. And, and I mean, he even says in all candor, you know, so he goes like this. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just going to because I, I want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. right? You, know they,
0: you should you should. You know, they make something called a highlighter. I did. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Unfortunately, there's no way to do justice to God's perfection if you imagine that he is conflicted within himself. Such a view of God uh, is a clear denial, of the classic doctrine of divine impassibility. More on this below. It also contradicts the apostle's statement in 2 Timothy 2.13, he cannot deny himself. So conflicted within himself, conflicted within himself, in all candor, that sounds blasphemous. Surely Orlin has a higher view of God than that. So again, like what you're trying to say is, There are certain words that are confusing, and instead of addressing it properly and asking a question Mm -hmm. and actually looking to correct, could potentially correct a brother, or at least correct uh, a a potential misinterpretation of someone's words,
0: it it just assumes the worst. Yeah, and I I just think in general, you're you're going to help more people think through it. If you're not throwing somebody under the bus, because I really I when I when I read this, I read the I read the review twice. The first time I read it, I really read like he's throwing Dane under the bus instead of saying, hey, man, be careful, because when I read this, it smacks of divine passability. Instead of saying this, this is clearly um, a, a, a warped view of even the gospel, he says. Johnson says nowhere is the danger of his imprecision more evident than in Ortland's discussion of the gospel. He writes, "Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence." End quote. Elsewhere he ar- there, don't know I don't have a problem with that. Elsewhere he argues, quote, "If the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is." we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness which he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. You read that right. Now, this is Johnson. You read that right. Ortland says your sin is what makes you most attractive to your holy savior. Put another way, quote, it is not our loveliness that wins his love. It is our unloveliness. And I can understand why, like, okay, that is somewhat confusing. It does need to be unpacked a bit. But it is while we were yet sinners that God's love is is aimed at us. It well, is, yeah, and
1: He draws near to the brokenhearted, those that are broken in spirit. Yep. Right, and it's a, it's that sense of like only the sick need a doctor. Right? Yeah. And He comes compassionately, lovingly, and I think. Wait, let me hang on. Let me go ahead, this finish point. your thought.
2: Yeah.
0: He said so. He quotes Dane, and this is a problem. It is not our loveliness that wins His love; it is our unloveliness. So, are you suggesting it is our loveliness that wins His love? I mean, uh, we don't we don't have any loveliness. Uh, yeah. We are all ugly uh, before the face of God, and yet He loves us in that state, and then redeems us and saves us, and yes, changes us and sanctifies us and yep. purifies us, yep. and all of those things. I think, in the end, that the heart of Christ, as um, gentle and lowly, is good and needed. And when when these guys. It, it's it's funny because it it shows you how the different what different circles we ra- we run in. Uh, Johnson is saying like I like, I don't buy that people generally think Jesus is a harsh taskmaster. And, oh yeah, uh, I I, mar- I marked that down and yeah. I was like w-. okay. In oh, yeah, my, not,
1: I put not a pastor.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, because in my experience, uh, you know, decades in the church, discipling people, walking with people most people feel like jesus is constantly angry with them that they're that they're never measuring up and a lot of people really struggle i mean a lot of people i and i would push it over the 50% mark so a lot of people do struggle with that and um and maybe uh, in in his circles he hasn't seen that but i certainly have you know it's part of like
1: reading into things and again maybe i'm you know um Johnson has a section in here that essentially attacks. Why is this book so popular? And then he goes and attacks the readers who like the book. It must be because, you know, uh, speak to us pleasant words, prophecy, illusions, self-satisfied people cannot endure sound words. They insist on having their ears tickled. Right. And several generations of secret sensitive ministry philosophy have more or less legitimized or even canonized the notion among evangelicals that truth is supposed to be to be always mild and benign. Anything that sounds harsh or demanding is supposed to be toned down. People love to have that opinion reinforced. I mean, I kind of (laughs) read, I kind of read, again, this is now me, maybe unfairly. uh, I kind of read this almost like a, a justification for the hard edge of grace to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, well I think that's you see that in the more fundamentalistic movements and churches, right? Mm-hmm. That they they position themselves, you know, in opposition to everything not everything, but they they oftentimes take the position of we're against this, we're against that, we're in opposition. Oh, and then and, blames the pandemic. So I, I for why I, people like this book. Yeah, <laughs> I do I I do think it's it's rather confusing that on the one hand, he will admit people that we love and respect uh, who are good thinkers, have endorsed this book.
1: Yeah, and you and, know what? Thank you for the
0: shout-out. <laughs> and yet, uh, why is it so popular? Well, because people can't think. People can't think. I They, they want their ears tickled. Yeah. And then, you know,
1: people don't know better because they haven't been in churches because of the pandemic. So they haven't been sitting under the word.
0: So they're dummies. You know where they have been sitting under the word through the pandemic? Where's that? John MacArthur's church. Yeah. Yeah, man, he ain't playing. <laughs> He's doing his thing. All right, so here, like, Here's the thing. Um, does scripture really say that in general? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I think some of the questions and Jimmy and I talked a little bit about this off air. Some of the questions that he raises are good. Yeah. I think his conclusions are not generally fair. And it's sort of like um, when Brian McLaren and those guys were raising questions for the church during mm-hmm. the emerging and then the emergent church movement uh good questions those are really good questions Mm -hmm. and we the bible does have answers for that and the reformed tradition in particular of which grace 2 is really not a part of the full Mm -hmm. reformed tradition uh they are calvinistic does have uh, have an answer for that and so um yeah some some fair questions in my opinion some unfair conclusions
1: well, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You could follow us online
0: on Instagram and Twitter. Unless at you're Doc one of the email. Johnson people.
1: Don't add us. <laughs> or on Facebook slash Dr. Devotion. You can head to the website, dot There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast. Or have the store, JoeFoStore.com. Or you can just mute them. I can like, mute them. You can mute them like Ray does. Yeah. Ray Ray. Ray, Ray Ortlund's mutant? mutant. Anyone that comes.
0: Oh, that's right. You said if uh, you're coming for my son's book. I'm going to mute you. I'm going to mute you. I don't, don't want to hear that stuff.
1: Fresh yeah. Pod. Sorry. Every Monday and Thursday. Uh, we got some blog posts and video content over at the website. And we've also got that all-access banter of truth as well as weekday wisdom. Five days a week, you get your
0: audio devotions delivered right to your phone.
1: Make sure you check it out. Later.